With Deadly Premonition 2, A Blessing in Disguise, right around the corner, we here at Suggestive Gaming figured now would be a good time to return to the town of Greenvale to revisit the story of the first game to prepare for the upcoming sequel-slash-prequel. Given that early looks at the new game show some references, at the very least, to Deadly Premonition's director and writer Swery's follow-up game D4 Dark Dreams Don't Die, we'll be taking a look at that game's short-lived story as well as a bonus. Do note that we will be covering the additional events added in the Director's Cut release of the game, and because there's so much to go over, I've enlisted the help of the voice behind our favorite secret agent, Jeff Kramer. Now, without further ado, this is what you need to know about Deadly Premonition. Take it away, Jeff. Our story begins in the woods of Greenvale, Washington, in the year 2006, with twin children Isaac and Isaiah Ingram, accompanied by their grandfather, Jim Green. The day starts off normal enough, but the pair eventually come upon the strung-up, bloodied corpse of 18-year-old town inhabitant, Anna Graham. Jim calls the sheriff, George Woodman, and his deputy, Emily Wyatt, to investigate the apparent ritualistic murder. Elsewhere in the town, the other residents learn of Anna's death and grieve in their own ways. Anna's mother, Sally, weeps over a photograph of her daughter. Anna's best friend, Becky Ames, stares regretfully at a locket with a mysterious symbol on it. Becky's older sister and owner of the local art gallery, Diane Ames, looks down upon a tree-like sculpture in the gallery's main hall. And finally, Sheriff's assistant, Thomas McLean, and his sister, Carol, mourn inside her bar, The Galaxy of Terror. In the future, we find an elderly man speaking with his granddaughter. She asks him to tell her a bedtime story, and he obliges. He then continues on, recounting to her the events that transpired in Greenvale. When the FBI learns of the murder in the small town, they send in special agent Francis York Morgan to investigate. York, who often speaks to a seemingly imaginary being named Zack, begins to discuss this new case to himself. Noting the potential connection to a previous case involving a woman with razors in her nails who scratched his face, leaving a large scar. He then pulls out a bag of red seeds, noting their importance to his investigations. Suddenly, York spots a figure donned in a red raincoat wielding a giant axe and is forced to swerve his car to avoid it. He careens off the road into the woods, flipping his vehicle. York is able to escape the wreck and continues on foot through the woods towards Greenvale. On his trip, York begins to see multiple zombie-like creatures known as shadows, which proceed to attack him. He's forced to shoot them down with his FBI-issued handgun, eventually coming across the raincoat-clad figure once again, who this time attacks York, forcing him to slip out of his grasp. The figure runs off, but York collects clues and uses them to profile his current situation, determining that there's definitely something else going on with the town besides a simple murder case. After his profiling, York is able to escape this other world, eventually walking up to Greenvale's entrance where he is met by Emily. After the two introduce themselves, George arrives and begins to aggressively question York. York tries to pacify the situation by explaining that he was only sent to profile the case and George will remain in complete control. While George isn't happy with the FBI's involvement, he has no choice in the matter and drives York to the town's hotel. That night, York has a dream about the shadows being met by a young child he doesn't recognize in a landscape of red trees. The child helps him sneak past the shadows, telling him to hold his breath to avoid detection. When York awakens the next morning, he leaves his room to meet the owner of the hotel, an elderly woman named Polly Oxford. The two share breakfast at a humorously long dining table, and Polly tells York about the town and its history. Afterwards, Polly serves York a cup of coffee, and he looks into it with interest to find a message to him. F.K. 
York leaves the hotel to find a police cruiser waiting for him. He takes it to the sheriff's office to finally begin his investigation. Inside, York meets Thomas, who he helps find a key to a cabinet. Afterwards, the two meet with Emily and she fills York in on the case. George arrives and takes Emily and York to the nearby hospital to review the results of the autopsy of Anna. When they arrive at the hospital, they are met with a chess-related puzzle by the doctor, which York is able to solve with ease. This gives them the key to the morgue where they find Dr. Usha Johnson. After brief introductions, they begin to look over the body. The cause of death is determined to be blood loss from a giant knife wound down her abdomen, sustained while she was still alive. They also discover a circular mark in her hand from clutching something. Usha also reveals that the victim had her tongue cut out before her death, leading York to determine that the killer in fact bit it off, determining that they must have some deep-seated issues with women as well as sadistic tendencies. York then finds one of the red seeds he had previously encountered inside of Anna's mouth, causing him to immediately assume command of the case, placing it under federal jurisdiction. He then gives Usha a winning move for his chess game as he leaves the room, entering yet another shadow-filled otherworld inside of the hospital. York is able to fight off the shadows once again, leaving the experience and regrouping with George and Emily. Shortly after, an old man donned in a gas mask of sorts is pushed in a wheelchair towards the group. George introduces him as Harry Stewart, a wealthy entrepreneur whose father's lumber business initially funded the town. Harry's aide, Michael Tillotson, speaks for him and gives York a cryptic warning about rain, causing the town's inhabitants to go mad before leaving as abruptly as he arrived. Thomas calls Emily and she informs York that they can now go question the witnesses that found Anna's body. The trio head off, with York and George having a short spat about who should truly be heading this case. When they arrive at the forest park, York meets with Jim, Isaac, and Isaiah. York immediately recognizes the boys from a dream he had prior to arriving at Greenvale and begins to speak to them about what they saw. The boys speak of the day in a whimsical, magical way. They refer to Anna becoming a goddess of the forest, who smiled down upon them. York then dismisses them and examines the location where the body was found, a giant red tree in the center of the park. Searching the area, York finds some important clues. A photograph of a man with an upside-down peace sign mark on his back, a piece of scrap metal, puncture marks on the ground created by somebody wearing high stiletto heels, as well as a piece of one of the heels that broke off, revealing them to have been red. George also finds knee prints, revealing that the perpetrator knelt in front of the hanging body for some reason which York determines by his profiling tactic to be a prayer ritual of some sort. York also surmises that the person in the red stiletto heels was not the murderer, but instead someone else who took the round object in Anna's hand before being forced to flee for some reason. York then sets his goal to find this Miss Stiletto Heels. Emily and George determine it could be Diane, the owner of the art gallery, but note that she had been out of town for the past few days. York makes a mental note and instead sets out to find the source of the scrap metal, which Emily and George both believe to be from the town's old lumber mill. Believing this to be the place where Anna was murdered before being brought to the forest, York makes his way to the old building. He leaves Emily and George outside so he can focus on his profiling and enters the lumber mill to find it also inhabited by shadows. Making his way through them, he finds a red altar, determining it to be the location of the murder. He proceeds deeper into the facility, finding various markings of the upside-down peace sign on his way. He proceeds to find more clues, including a clump of red hair and a fake fingernail, 
before he is once again confronted by the figure in the red raincoat, whom he is forced to hide from by holding his breath, like the child in his dream taught him. York is able to escape from the figure, tearing a piece of their raincoat in the process. This allows him to complete his profiling and escape the other world to discuss his findings with Emily and George outside. The pair don't recognize the hair or nail, but Emily notes that the raincoat is a bit odd, since the town's citizens don't go out in the rain. Emily, who moved to Greenville as a teenager, doesn't understand why, but George speaks up and tells an old folktale about the raincoat killer, who only appears during rainy nights. While George doesn't give much credence to the tale, he does explain that the rest of the town traditionally closes up entirely during rainy nights, just as a superstition. Knowing now that the killer must be the person with the upside-down piece mark on their back, York asks to see both Emily and George's backs. Emily reveals hers to be completely bare, but when George takes off his shirt, Emily and York are both surprised to find it completely marred by scars. George states that it's a personal matter he wishes not to talk about, just like York wishes not to speak with them about his speaking to Zack. York then asks Emily and George to arrange a meeting with the townsfolk so he can speak to them directly, and George complies. The next day, York arrives at the community center, noting the impressive clock tower to Zack on his way inside. At the assembly, George introduces York to the town, and he takes the stage, informing the town on certain measures they should take in order to remain safe while the killer is at large, including staying inside during rainfall, as he believes the killer may be simulating the old story. As he speaks, Thomas's sister Carol arrives late, wearing red stiletto heels. After York finishes up his speech, Harry Stewart arrives and gives his own to the crowd, cryptically stating that Anna's death was to pay for their sins, and that the town will be covered in purple fog, causing them all to wander in hell. York then meets with the townsfolk individually, getting to know them as well as their interpersonal dramas. He doubles up with Thomas and asks to see his back, which he complies with. York then eliminates him from the suspects as the only tattoo he has on his back is not of a peace sign, but rather a heart with Love G inscribed. York also speaks to Harry directly. Michael, again speaking for his employer, informs him of the meaning of the purple fog, which appears with the rain and brings evil. Harry states that if York removes the source of the fog, he'll solve his case, and this will happen in due time. He then asks York to speak with him later when that time comes. George dismisses the townsfolk, and outside, York agrees to go to dinner at the nearby A&G diner with Emily, Thomas, and George. Afterwards, York returns to the hotel to write his report on his findings thus far to send to his superiors at the FBI. Afterwards, York goes to sleep and dreams once again of the Ingram twins, but this time, Anna also appears to him, alongside her best friend, Becky. He then sees the young boy who made him hold his breath, whom he now recognizes as himself as a child. When York awakens, he exits his hotel room to meet Forrest Kaysen, a traveling tree sapling salesman, and his dog Willie. Forrest gives York a sample of his seedlings, a small red tree. Forrest then proclaims that he's the only one that can make those trees sprout from the red seeds. When the man leaves, York notes his connection to the seeds, as well as his initials, F.K., which York's coffee had previously told him. Outside, York meets with George and Emily once again, and the group head to the art gallery to meet with the recently returned Diane. York asks to speak to Diane alone and heads into the building. Inside, he finds Olivia Cormack, one of the owners of the A&G Diner, who states that she is there because she likes trees, before quickly heading off, dropping a note and a key on her way. 
York finds Diane's office, but overhears an argument inside over possession of an unknown object, before the door opens and Carol angrily storms out of the room past York. York then speaks with Diane, who gives her alibi of the night of the murder, as being with Nick Cormack, Olivia's husband and the other owner of the diner. York then leaves the gallery to head with Emily to the diner to speak with Nick and confirm Diane's alibi. Before they leave, however, York spots Kaysen meeting with Diane, prompting him to suspect a connection between the two. At the diner, York and Emily share a meal getting to know each other, with York learning of an interesting sandwich from Harry Stewart before York goes into the kitchen to question Nick. Nick confirms that he was having drinks with Diane the night of the murder as they often get together to share their interest in art. Believing him to be hiding something, York also asks Olivia about her husband's relationship with Diane, to which she replies that they are friends and only go out to talk about art. York then confronts her about him finding her at the gallery. Since she doesn't like art, York believes the only reason Olivia would be there would be to see Diane. Olivia asks York and Emily to return after the diner closes. And when they do, she confirms that she has her suspicions about Diane and her husband. She reveals that the night of the murder, she followed them to the bar. But they didn't stay there all night. Instead, they went to the gallery together. As they were walking in together, Diane turned around, and Olivia thought she was spotted, so she panicked and left. Emily then suggests that they bring Nick in for questioning, but York thinks they need something more. Just then, Emily gets an urgent call from George to meet Thomas at Becky's house, as something has happened, reportedly related to the raincoat killer. York leaves Emily to take care of a panicked Olivia, who now believes her husband to be somehow involved, and heads to Becky's house by himself. Outside, York finds Becky's unconsolable boyfriend, Quint, and leaves Thomas with him as he enters the house alone. Inside, York finds the house to also be infested by shadows. He is quickly confronted by the raincoat killer, but escapes to find more clues to profile the situation. He determines that the figure with the upside-down peace symbol mark also visited Becky. As he escapes the other world, York finds himself in Becky's house, now back to normal. He hears the shower running and rushes into the bathroom. There, he finds a bloody but alive Becky, strung up above the bathtub, unable to speak due to her tongue being cut out as well. George, Thomas, and Emily arrive and rush in. George frantically cuts the lines holding her up to try and free her, but an intricate trap causes several pieces of red velvet to tighten around her neck, suffocating and killing her. Suddenly, York is met with a vision of Becky joining Anna in the forest. He is then brought back to reality by Becky's final moment coughing up a clump of the red seeds, as well as a key. York uses the key to open a hidden safe in Becky's room, where he finds a blank journal. He uses a pencil to read the impression left by the last thing written by Becky, a note to her sister, Diane, apologizing and admitting that she fell for Anna's killer and followed him after the murder to where he left the body. Becky states that Anna was clutching the killer's locket, but she was able to retrieve it from the dead girl's hand, revealing her to be the stiletto-heeled second figure at the murder scene. Hoping to take down the murderer with the locket, Becky states that she gave it to Isaac and Isaiah. Later, York and Emily find the twins, spending the day with Kaysen and Willie. York talks to the kids and convinces them to tell him about their secret with Becky. They reveal that they gave a box that Becky gave them to Diane at the art gallery. They also tell York that afterwards, Becky gave them a locket to give to Diane as well, but Carol saw them with it and tried to get it from them. York determines that the boys gave the locket to Diane, but Carol took it back at the art gallery during the argument that he overheard. 
He then turns to Kaysen and asks him to confirm, revealing that York saw him and Diane that day. Kaysen admits that he was there to talk to Diane, but had nothing to do with the exchange of the locket. York then commands Kaysen to not leave town, before thanking the boys and heading off. York then meets with George, Thomas, and Emily to plan their next move. York states that they need more information on Diane and Nick, and tasks George with staking out the gallery and hailing Diane, Emily with staking Nick at the diner, and Thomas with the bar the two will ultimately meet at. York then plans to follow the pair when they leave the bar together. Nick arrives at the bar alone, but George reports that Diane never left the gallery. Emily, York, and Thomas then follow Nick as he leaves the bar, believing him to be heading to the gallery. They tail his car, but lose him when they are forced to swerve by an approaching semi-truck. York then takes them to the gallery, where they meet with George. George states that Nick did not come there, and there's been no movement whatsoever, in fact. York notices something is off with George, who admits his nerves got the best of him during his stakeout, and he had a drink. Still believing Nick to be inside the gallery, despite George not seeing him out front, York looks around for another entrance into the building. He eventually finds a ladder leading below ground, and Emily arrives just before he descends. She agrees to wait behind, but asks York and Zack to be careful, as she has a vested interest in them now. Underground, York finds himself once again in the shadow-infested Otherworld, fighting a wall-clinging figure before reaching a distorted version of the gallery. There, York finds more seeds and another upside-down peace symbol, and is able to profile the scene to determine the figure with the black mark once again arrived, this time harming Diane. When York returns to the real world, he finds an unconscious Nick and Diane strung up above the giant tree-like sculpture in her main hall. York opens the door for George, Thomas, and Emily, and they rush in to find Diane. Emily then notices that she too is still alive, and York runs up the stairs to try to rescue her. George then attempts to push the sculpture out of the way, breaking the cables holding Diane. Before she falls, York jumps through the air to grab her, and the two land on George to break their fall. After recuperating from the daring rescue, the group are stunned to see Diane stand up on her own before walking over to the sculpture to give an unintelligible presentation due to her removed tongue and mouthful of red seeds. Meanwhile, Nick awakens and attempts to walk over to her, but George places him under arrest for her attempted murder. Nick resists and pushes George, who bumps into the statue, breaking its final support cables, causing it to fall. Emily attempts to pull Diane away, but she refuses to budge. York is forced again to dive to save them, pushing Emily to safety, but failing to prevent Diane from being crushed and killed by the falling sculpture. Afterwards, Willie arrives, much to the surprise of everyone in the room, and York follows him to another ladder, this one locked with a red sapling nearby. York shoots the lock, and Kaysen emerges from inside. After a bit of questioning, Kaysen reveals that he and Diane were involved in a romantic relationship. He states that after a night together, Diane locked him underground, and he was waiting for her to let him out. He does say that while underground, he did hear footsteps from a man's boots. York suspects Kaysen, but he claims to know nothing about Diane's murder, stating that he was locked in the room from the outside and couldn't possibly have been involved. Nick is taken back to the station, but states that while he was waiting for Diane to show up, he was knocked unconscious by an unknown assailant. York plans to head back to the hotel to write up his report, but George stops him to ask York to accompany him to the bar, which York agrees to. At the bar, York and George bond a bit, with George opening up about his scars. He reveals that his mother was abusive, and had stepped on his face with a stiletto heel and marked his back with thin tree branches. 
George also reveals that he holds a deep regret for how he's been handling the case, feeling responsible for Becky and Diane's deaths due to his actions inadvertently causing their mortal wounds. York consoles the man, and George thanks him for making him feel a bit better. Afterwards, York walks over to speak to Carol, and he asks her about the locket. Carol refuses to comment and walks off to give a vocal performance. Emily arrives, made up and in a black dress, and York comments on how she also looks like a goddess of the forest, like the murdered women have become in death. She hopes to drink with York and George to blow off some steam, but George leaves, having already had his man-to-man with York. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now york and emily share some drinks and she reveals that george had some romantic interest in her when she first arrived in town to which she declined but maintained a strong level of respect for him the pair bond some more throughout the night, with Emily showing York a leaf-shaped necklace her mother gave her before she passed away. The two then part ways with York returning to the hotel to write his report. York finishes his report, but before he can fall asleep, he hears a knock at his door. When he opens it, he finds Emily once again, who claims she couldn't sleep, and he invites her inside. York then has a discussion with Emily about his childhood. While he had a good relationship with his mother, Valentine, he did not have much of any with his father, Xander, who was also a federal agent, one of the first to use the criminal profiling technique that York now employs. Emily then asks about Zack, which takes York by surprise. He simply states that Zack is his friend, his only friend. He claims that they met when York was seven years old. He was awakened by his crying mother, and when he went out to investigate, he saw his father pointing a gun at her. York doesn't remember much else, but he does recall the words his father spoke to him. At times, we must purge things from this world because they should not exist, even if it means losing someone that you love. The next thing he knew, both of his parents were dead. It was at that moment that he and Zack became friends, and since then, he and York have worked together to get through the hardships in life. Emily tells York that she's sure his father had a reason for what he did, and York agrees, musing that he probably became a federal agent like his father to one day uncover that reason. Emily then thanks York for saving her at the gallery before leaving. Afterward, York lays in bed and speaks to Zack, and he realizes there's a growing connection with Emily. Elsewhere, a crying Carol is consoled by a wigged Thomas. As the pair wear matching red dresses and stiletto heels, they are in an unknown dungeon with several tools and a framed photograph of the figure with the upside-down peace mark and the three murdered women. Nearby, a mannequin is seen with the locket. In his dream, York meets with an unmasked Harry Stewart, who reveals a door, claiming there is no turning back once York passes through it. He does so, and on the other side, finds himself as a young boy once again, forced to relive his father shooting his mother. Once again in the future, we find the elderly man still telling his story to his granddaughter. 
It is then shown that this man has both Emily's leaf-shaped necklace as well as one of Kaysen's red tree saplings. York awakens in the hotel and meets Polly for breakfast. He reads the paper and notices a message to hurry to Harry, and he determines it is now time to speak with him. As he heads out, however, he is met in the parking lot by Emily, who reveals that Thomas has gone missing. York states that he's going to meet with Harry and has Emily go find George to look for Thomas. York arrives at Harry's mansion and meets with him. Michael provides tea and recommends York take it with sugar, but when York looks in the bowl, he finds it full of the red seeds. York asks Harry about this, and Harry states that the seeds are found in a specific place in the town, and sends York to find it before they speak any further. York leaves and finds the place Harry was referring to, the graveyard, which houses an area filled with the red trees. York takes some of the seeds and returns to Harry's mansion. There, the man finally begins to speak to York personally, without the dictation of his assistant. Harry reveals that 50 years prior, the town constructed the clock tower, and soon after, a serial killer in a red raincoat began his killing spree. York states that the story is only folklore, as the FBI has no record of any of those murders. Harry states that a powerful organization, the military, had the incident covered up, but he knows it occurred because he was there and saw it with his own two eyes. Harry states that the current raincoat killer is a new one. Ten to twenty years ago, a new legend began to spread about the town, this time concerning the Red Seeds and their connection to the original raincoat killer. The legend stated that eating the Red Seeds and then killing someone would make one immortal. Harry then reveals that all of the Red Seeds York had found through his various investigations had come from Greenvale, and they are all concerned with that legend. Harry then tells York that records of the original raincoat killer do exist, in fact, at the sheriff's office. He then tasks York with retrieving the documents and bringing them back to him, after which he'll reveal everything he knows. York arrives at the sheriff's department and asks George about the documents. George denies any existence of said documents, reiterating that the raincoat killer is merely folklore and brushes off Harry's story as the babbling of a madman. York still elects to search for the records himself and leaves the office to do so. However, he quickly finds himself in an otherworld version of the sheriff's department and is forced to once again fight his way through the shadows to find clues. Afterwards, he is able to profile the situation to determine that the new raincoat killer had gotten to the documents before he could. Finding himself back in the normal world, York speaks with George to ask who else could have removed the documents. The three of them then surmise that Thomas, still missing, is a possible candidate. York asks Emily to bring him coffee, and she does. While the coffee's taste is thrilling to York, what really catches his interest is the cup from Velvet Falls. York takes this as another message and heads there with a fishing pole. He casts his line and catches what he was hoping for, a briefcase containing the documents, dumped there by whomever stole them, perplexing both Emily and George. The trio read the documents, which reveal the true ritual of the new raincoat killer. 1. For eternal life and eternal power, make four human sacrifices on rainy nights, each after eating the seeds. 2. Make sure the sacrificed eat the seeds, too, before they die. And 3. The sacrificed must also not speak while they are being killed. York asks George if he recognizes the handwriting, and he states that he does, as Thomas's. York then takes the documents to return to Harry and Emily and George continue their search for Thomas. 
At Harry's mansion, however, York enters the other world and sees a painting of the goddesses of the forest, including Anna, Becky, Diane, and Carol. More surprisingly, however, is that the painting also contains Emily and Thomas. York then sees a vision of his father holding a gun on Emily, repeating his last words to York once again. York is able to escape the other world and find Harry's secret office, where he finds the man. Harry greets York and begins to recount his experience of the murders 50 years ago. During a party to commemorate the opening of the clock tower, Harry decided to climb it, even though he was unsure of why. At the top, though, he witnessed several soldiers in gas masks releasing a purple smoke on the town. As the bell rang for its 13th time, the town's inhabitants began to violently attack each other. Harry then witnessed one particularly powerful citizen dressed in a red raincoat wielding an axe. As he breathed in the smoke, he also began to have murderous thoughts and approached the figure, but under its hood, he saw his own father. His father attacked and knocked him unconscious, but Harry survived. After the incident, the military arrived and issued a gag order on the town, reducing the story of the raincoat killer to whispers that evolved into legend. The gas seeped into the soil of the town, with rainfall causing a minute amount to escape, leading to the town's wariness of rainfall, as well as Harry's constant use of his gas mask. Harry believes that the red seeds and the purple gas have some kind of connection due to their similar effects, and believes that perhaps somebody created the gas using the seeds. Just then, Harry taps into the sheriff's department's system and finds that Thomas has been located. As York goes to leave, he asks why Harry is giving him this information, to which the man only replies, At times we must purge things from this world because they should not exist, even if it means losing someone that you love. The same cryptic message his father delivered to him so many years ago. Harry then leaves him with a warning to accept the fact that nothing can remain in its same form forever. As York leaves the mansion, he finds Emily outside, who tells him about their discovery of Thomas's location, his home. She states that George is already on his way over there, and York speeds off to meet him there. Outside the apartment complex, George reveals that they got an anonymous tip that Thomas returned home. York again elects to head in alone, and while he doesn't find Thomas, he finds his wig and shoes, which York profiles to determine Thomas is not the killer, but is involved with him somehow. George and Emily enter the apartment and find that Thomas is missing, causing George to run off and speed off in his own car to find him before he presumably leaves town. York goes to leave, but as he does, sees a vision of Anna, which he follows. She leads him to Carol's bar, but just as he arrives, the raincoat killer attacks him, forcing York to flee inside. There, York is again in the other world, where he is forced to escape from the raincoat killer once more. York finds Thomas's badge and an ice pick, the latter of which he uses when he re-enters the real world to open a secret passage into the underground dungeon, where he immediately spots the locket. As he goes to grab it, however, he is immediately knocked out by the butt of a pistol wielded by Thomas. Afterwards, Carol performs in the empty bar, while Thomas dances over York's unconscious body below. York has another dream of himself as a child, this time in the forest where he is met by Emily. She consoles him before Willie arrives. Suddenly, York finds himself as an adult again, in the room with Isaac and Isaiah, with the three murder victims. Diane holds a doll of Forrest Kaysen, and the twins state that the person York is waiting for will arrive soon. Suddenly, the trees begin to burst open with blood. In the future, the grandfather gives the leaf-shaped necklace to his granddaughter, 
telling her to use it as a signpost leading her through her life before continuing on with his story. York later awakens bound to a chair and blindfolded. At the bar, Kaysen takes George and Emily below into the dungeon, stating that he saw York go in and Willie had found the secret room. Emily finds one of York's cigarettes and Willie begins to track the scent. George stays behind to investigate and sends Emily with Kaysen and Willie to find York. As Emily and Kaysen follow Willie, York begins to have visions of Emily, realizing that he has begun to fall in love with the woman. Willie leads Emily to the clock tower and she enters to find a shadow for the first time. She fights her way through and climbs the tower, eventually finding Thomas at the top. Emily asks Thomas about York, but he refuses to answer, instead stating that he and Carol love a different man, his lovely G. Thomas holds a gun on Emily and though she offers to help, Thomas expresses anger, stating that he won't let her have him, prompting a gunfight between the two. Emily is able to best Thomas in combat, and he appears to change his tune, apologizing to her. He then snaps again, however, coming after her with the knife. Willie suddenly jumps at him and stops him, causing him to lose grip on the knife, throwing it in the air. It falls and lands in Thomas's chest, greatly wounding him. He begins to walk towards Emily again, but falls off of the giant gear he was standing upon and impales his face on a hanging hook, killing him instantly. Kaysen then finally arrives at the top of the tower to join Emily. Meanwhile, Willie has found York and removes his bindings. He leaves the room to find Emily outside. He sees Thomas's dead body, but states that the killer is still at large, knowing now that there's only one possibility left. Love G himself. George. York takes Emily, Kaysen, and Willie to the sheriff's department, knowing that this is where the case will end. He leaves Emily and Kaysen outside and heads inside to confront George. After fighting through shadows and profiling again, York finds Carol in a red dress with her tongue cut out. Emily arrives and rushes over to Carol, who shoves red seeds into Emily's mouth and expresses that all of the murder victims were substitutes, as George truly loves Emily and not them. York pushes Carol off of Emily and she vomits blood, finally dying. York carries Emily outside and sends Kaysen to take her to the hospital to pump her stomach and remove the seeds. Kaysen asks York to come along with them, but York states that he has to stay behind to find and take care of George. Donned in the raincoat, George appears before York, and he chases him through the Otherworld Sheriff's Department. Eventually, York meets George outside, now wearing his outfit framing the upside-down peace mark on his back. George blames Emily for coming to the town and corrupting their small-town sensibilities. He then ingests the seeds and harnesses their power, transforming into a more powerful creature with the mark on his back now glowing. He states that it is the mark of the red tree given to him by his mother. Now with his ritual complete, George believes himself to be all-powerful and begins to fight York. York is able to emerge victorious, and George confesses to the murders, as well as the events leading up to them. He admits that he had help from Carol and Thomas, who created the secret club that enticed Anna and Becky. Afterwards, George transforms further, sprouting glowing white hair and growing even larger. This does not stop York, who is able to defeat him in battle once again. Afterwards, George begins to cry out to his mother. He states that he knelt in front of Anna to apologize for what he had done, and that somebody else had given him the gift that made him do all of this. George then turns to York and claims that he knows he has it, and York holds out the locket, asking why it means so much to George. George states that he told him only the Chosen One can hold the locket, and York is not worthy. 
He then throws an axe at York, which she shoots back at George, stabbing him in the chest. A bolt of lightning strikes the axe, finally killing George, and leaving nothing but a charred figure where he stood. The sky clears and York collapses from exhaustion. We'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. York then dreams of being a child once again, speaking to Isaac, Isaiah, George's victims, as well as his own parents. He enters another room to find Emily holding the forest Kaysen doll, as well as Harry. Harry tells York to open an envelope, but when he looks inside, he wakes up in the hospital, accompanied by Usha. Usha reveals that York had been asleep for about a day and a half, but York immediately asks how Emily is doing. Usha then reveals that Emily was never brought to the hospital, but instead, Kaysen brought York, leaving an envelope adorned with the mark of the red tree. York opens the envelope to find a key and a map to George's house. He follows the map to find the rundown house and enters it. Inside, he finds a secret passage to the basement where he finds a shrine dedicated to Emily, as well as the dried-out corpse of his mother with a red tree growing from it. This leads York to realize that Kaysen and his red trees were the source of the evil in the town, and nearby he finds a photograph of Kaysen with George holding the locket, with a message to York to meet him at the theater. It is then revealed that 50 years ago, when the military arrived to spread the poison gas on the town, one of the soldiers was none other than Forrest Kaysen. York arrives at the location of the theater, the clock tower, where he finds the town's inhabitants transformed into shadows. Isaac and Isaiah take cover behind York, but quickly turn and begin to attack him as well. York enters the theater to find Kaysen with Emily, who confesses to his hand in corrupting George with the red seeds. He reveals that the locket served no real purpose, but convincing George that it did allows him to control the man. Kaysen blames York for leaving Emily with him and choosing the job over her safety. Emily then awakens and confuses a nearby Kaysen with York, and she kisses him. York tries to get Emily to come with him, but she states that she can't, as she has been soiled. When she stands up, it is revealed that she has a red tree growing from her abdomen. Kaysen then reveals that this is his secret technique to getting the seeds to sprout. Emily then pleads with York to shoot her to put her out of her misery, and York is forced to relive the moment his father killed his mother once again. However, this time he remembers the truth. Forrest Kaysen was there and had planted the seeds in his mother as well. York's father didn't shoot his mother. She died as the tree sprouted from her body. This led to his warning to the young boy, as well as his immense regret of not being able to purge the evil from the world. He then called the boy by his real name, Zack, and put the gun to his own head. Kaysen then placed a doll of himself next to the bodies. At that moment, it was actually York who appeared to Zack and took his place inside of Zack's body to help him cope. Now remembering the truth, Zack reawakens inside of his body, trading places with York once again and instantly turning his hair bright white. 
Zack is forced to heed his father's words and aim his gun at Emily. However, much like his father, he is unable to pull the trigger. This forces Emily to rip the tree from her own body, mortally wounding her in the process. She says her goodbyes to Zack, and he then sees a vision of her walking over to join the rest of the goddesses of the forest. As she does, York also joins her, and they leave the rest up to Zack. Kaysen, who reveals himself to be an emissary of the Red World, and the one who had trapped Zack in the Red Room, then transforms into his own ghastly creature, and Zack is forced to fight him multiple times. In between their battles, Kaysen admits that he made the purple gas out of the seeds to turn the townsfolk against each other simply for a laugh. After a final battle, Zack is able to destroy Forest Kaysen once and for all. Afterwards, the Greenvale residents return to normal outside. Inside, Zack speaks to Emily one last time, telling her not to wait for York to propose, but to instead do it herself. He then picks her up and begins to carry her out. On his way, he sees the doll of Kaysen, but simply steps on it as he exits the theater. Zack then returns to speak to Harry, now with his gas mask removed. Zack asks Harry what his real name is, and he finally reveals his greatest secret. His real name is Harry Woodman, and George was his son. Harry then tells Zack that he was also unable to shoot his wife before the tree grew, causing him to lose both his wife and his son. He then expresses his gratitude to Zack for bringing an end to everything before Michael drives Zack back to the hotel. As they drive off, Zack sees Emily in the forest and asks Michael to stop the car, which he does. Zack enters the forest to look for her, instead finding Isaac, Isaiah, Jim, and Willie. The twins then speak to Emily before they return to Zack with a present from her, her leaf-shaped necklace. They then point to where they see Emily and say she's standing there with Zack's twin. Zack says his goodbyes to Jim and the twins, then speaks to York one more time, determining that George left Anna in the woods, hoping the twins would find her. Zack returns to the hotel and wakes up the next morning to check out of the hotel and leave Greenvale. He speaks to Polly, noticing a photograph behind her. She explains that it was a photo celebrating the completion of the clock tower, and in it is none other than Forrest Kaysen. Zack then tells Polly that he's thinking of a friend who was with him for a long time, but is now in a place they can no longer be together. Polly thinks that wherever this friend is, he's doing fine, and Zack agrees. He then checks out of the hotel and walks off. He takes one final look at Greenvale as Willie arrives with the Kaysen doll before Zack turns and walks out of the town. In the future, Zack reveals to his granddaughter that Emily is still in the forest with York, where they watch over the world. Zack's granddaughter, named Michelle Louise Morgan, although Zack mistakenly calls her Emily, is then sent by her mother to take him to dinner. Meanwhile, York and Emily are happily together in a version of the A&G diner, with the murder victims joining them. Zack arrives and York is pleased to finally see him again. York then asks if Zack saw the paper, mentioning a bizarre string of incidents near New Orleans, with victims reporting sudden nausea before losing control of their bodies. Zack and York agree that this makes them feel something, and York tells Zack it's time to wake up. Afterwards, Michelle tells her mother that her grandfather is now gone. And this is where we leave the story of Deadly Premonition, as we head into both the future and the past with Deadly Premonition 2. But as stated in the intro, we've got one other story to look over, 
And while we don't quite know yet if these events are canon to the story of Deadly Premonition, it'll still be fun to revisit. So let's take a trip across the United States from the West Coast all the way to the East. But before we do that, I do quickly ask that if you are enjoying this video, to please click that subscribe button. Analytics show that over 97% of our viewers are not subscribed. These videos take a lot of work and that one quick click on the subscribe button helps us more than you know. Alright, let's continue on to the story of D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die. In May of 2013, in an apartment in a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts, we meet David Young, a former narcotics agent with the Boston PD turned private detective. Two years prior, his wife, Little Peggy, was killed under mysterious drug-related circumstances, and his head was grazed by a bullet as well, leaving him with no memories. The only thing he recalls is his wife's last words, to look for D. David's injury didn't just take his memories, though. It also gave him the ability to travel to the past using special objects called mementos to learn more about certain events. In his apartment, David studies his case files, finding no new information but noting that his wife was tested positive for trace amounts of a street drug called Real Blood in her toxicology report. Suddenly, a knock at the door breaks his concentration, and in bursts his new, eccentric, cat-like neighbor named Amanda, who playfully attacks him. Afterwards, he's mocked by narcotics detective and his former partner, Forrest Kaysen, no relation, who arrives to help David with his search for the person known as D. Kaysen brings up a news report about a plane that was mysteriously struck by lightning. Even more troubling about the flight is that a real-blood drug smuggler, Antonio Zapatero, known as Rabbit, who was under arrest and being transferred for questioning, vanished without a trace mid-trip. David doesn't see much relevance in the case, but Kaysen stresses that the drug lord Rabbit was set to give up information on supposedly has a name that starts with D, and may be the man David's been looking for. Kaysen was able to bring evidence from the flight, including a badge belonging to the federal marshal escorting Rabbit. David grabs it and immediately feels its power, knowing he can use it as a memento to travel to the time of the event. David goes to his bathroom and channels the power of the memento, and when he awakens, he finds himself on the plane Rabbit disappeared from, mid-flight from Washington, D.C. to Boston. As he exits the bathroom, he accidentally knocks down a flight attendant named Olivia Jones, who bears a striking resemblance to his late wife, Little Peggy. While she starts off friendly with him, she does point out that he's not on the passenger list, and notes that they don't take kindly to stowaways. David walks off and finds the owner of the badge, U.S. Marshal Derek Buchanan, who recognizes David, stating that he warned the detective if they met again, he would kill him. Next to Buchanan sits Rabbit, and when David tries to lean over to speak to him, Buchanan grabs him and holds his broken-tipped pen up to his throat. David breaks free and steals the pen, walking away with it. Investigating the plane, David notices the blankets on the seats are adorned with a snowflake pattern, with cherry blossoms on the underside. As he's looking at this, an esteemed avant-garde fashion designer named Duncan walks up with his partner, Suki, and tells David about his fashion line. Afterwards, David meets another passenger, Deborah, who is obsessing over various events on the trip, including the sun setting outside the left side window. When David tries to assure her that the plane didn't crash, she begins a verbal tirade, prompting another flight attendant to walk over and break up the argument. This attendant, Philip Cheney, also recognizes David, before taking a dose from an inhaler and exhaling a red vapor. David then rattles the window by Deborah to cause her to panic even more and create a scene to distract Philip. 
He takes her to business class, and as they enter that section, a very tall man in a surgical mask and white suit emerges, causing the scar on David's forehead to throb. David proceeds to speak to the man, Roland Walken, who he also had met in the past at some point he can't remember. As he tries to recall, the man looks out the window, and the storm begins to get worse. Buchanan then begins to pound on the bathroom door, and Rabbit bursts through it and attacks him, accusing the marshal of trying to steal his fake eye. David interrupts this attack, and Rabbit recognizes him, stating he'll never give up the identity of Dee. The two then fight on the plane as the turbulence from the storm gets worse and worse. During the fight, Duncan's partner-slash-mannequin Suki is broken into several pieces. David grabs one of the legs, and when Rabbit pitches a baseball at him, David swings it as a bat and hits the ball back at him, hitting him in the face and knocking out his fake eye. David then begins to violently question Rabbit about D, but he kicks him in the groin, causing them both to temporarily give up before lightning strikes the plane's engine, causing it to begin to fall from the sky. David and Rabbit continue their fight, with David strangling him with one of the oxygen masks, but Olivia surprisingly pulls a gun on them and commands them to stop. Lightning then strikes the plane again, causing David to blank out for a second, and when he awakens, both Rabbit and Olivia are gone. As he begins to look around, he starts to notice some strange inconsistencies with the plane and its passengers. Buchanan suddenly doesn't recognize him, Suki is mysteriously repaired, the blankets have the cherry blossom pattern now, and the sun is on the right side of the plane. David begins to speak with the giant, who cryptically instructs him to observe what he is looking at, and hints that he may know something about David's abilities, as well as his overlaying of his memories of little Peggy onto Olivia. David then heads off to ask Philip about Olivia, but he has no recollection of a member of the crew with that name. All of these inconsistencies lead David to realize that during the lightning strike, he accidentally used Buchanan's broken pen to move further back in time to the flight in the other direction taking the passengers to Washington, D.C. from Boston. However, as he enters the bathroom to gather his thoughts, he is somehow electrocuted and collapses, with a broken piece of a sunglasses lens falling next to him. Meanwhile, Kaysen is met by a mysterious old man with white hair adorned with owl feathers. David awakens on a frozen pond with a white owl, where he is soon met by little Peggy as a child. She asks him to play with frozen ducks, and David tells her about his investigation and his plan to change the past to save her. However, when he looks back over, she is now an adult and tells him he can't change the past. She is dead and he needs to move on. However, he refuses and soon awakens in the bathroom in his apartment, sunglasses lens in hand. When he exits, he finds Kaysen missing, but looks through his case files on the real blood-related murders, finding the victims to be gruesomely mutilated, such as one body with its skin turned inside out, and in little Peggy's case, all of her blood removed. David then gets into Kaysen's laptop by guessing his password to discover that Kaysen is investigating several locations connected to David leading him to suspect his friend is investigating him. The next morning, Kaysen awakens David with breakfast, and he informs him of his trip to the past. David then presses Kaysen about where he went the night before, but Kaysen brushes it off by saying he simply went home. He grabs his files and evidence from Amanda, but she holds on to the baseball from the plane. David gets the ball from her and discovers it to be a memento. David then continues his investigation, reading over more case notes. There he reads about Dr. August Oldman, the first to arrive to Little Peggy's murder scene, as well as the man who raised her. The shock of discovering her caused his hair to turn white overnight. 
According to his testimony, David was no longer there when he discovered her body, as an unknown person had already taken him to the local hospital. David then enters the bathroom to use the baseball memento, but Kaysen stops him to warn him that he can't change the past. Rather, he can only change his perception of it. This does not dissuade David, who uses the memento, taking him back on the plane, but this time, under the passenger deck. There, he finds bloodstains, but more importantly, Olivia, who again pulls a gun on him and has a visible badge. They overhear gunshots and a radio message that the marshal is moving the witness, and David knows that he has to get back up there to get to him first. Olivia tries to chase after him, but injures her ankle. David returns to her and offers his help in return for hers, and she reluctantly agrees, with the two moving through the deck to reach the cockpit. Eventually, they find a locked door, and when David looks through it, he sees a giant figure exhaling red vapor and controlling electricity. The figure disappears, and Olivia states to have not seen it. David unlocks the door, and the two continue on, but Olivia brings up a detective from the Boston Police Department she heard of that was forced to leave the force two years ago over suspicions that he killed his wife. David claims that he did not kill his wife, but Olivia pulls her gun and doesn't allow him to continue with his investigation. Just then, he feels an electrical burst coming and pushes Olivia out of the way. The blast causes the door to close between them. Olivia calls Philip Cheney, codenamed Delta, revealing he is also a U.S. agent, but he doesn't respond. David is forced to continue on alone, and when he reaches the end of a hallway, he is surprisingly met by the giant, Roland Walken, who cryptically warns him once again, before contorting his body to escape through a small vent. Continuing on, David finds the marshal, having faked his injuries, torturing Rabbit. David surmises that Buchanan is after the same thing he is, revenge for a real blood user who killed his family. David asks Buchanan for his evidence, as it could help him travel to the past to save his family. The marshal doesn't believe he truly has this ability, and refuses to help. But suddenly, a mechanical tentacle pierces his throat and kills him instantly. Suddenly, the electrified figure that David previously spotted enters, carrying Olivia. David finally concludes that this was the D he should have been looking for all along. The one codenamed Delta, Philip Cheney, now superpowered due to the use of the chemicals he inhales. Cheney then attacks David, and that is the last we see of the detective. Elsewhere, Oldman and Kaysen meet in a park, where it is revealed that they have some sort of arrangement one which Kaysen seemingly regrets. That is the last of the story of D4 Dark Dreams Don't Die, as the series was unfortunately cancelled before its conclusion. But who knows, maybe one day we'll learn what was truly behind those gruesome real blood murders in Boston. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching this video, especially to the folks who watched me stream my playthroughs of both of these games right here on YouTube. Ring the bell to hopefully catch those streams, or follow on twitch.tv slash suggestivegaming to make sure that you see them. A huge thanks goes to viewer Jmills for his help with both my playthrough as well as the writing of this video script. And again, a huge thanks to Jeff Kramer for his help during the Deadly Premonition segment. We do ask again if you like this video to click like, subscribe for more video game story content, and leave a comment on what you'd like to see next. Also, please consider supporting on Patreon or by joining as a member here on YouTube. With those folks on screen, getting a huge thanks now. See you guys next time.